In this episode of The Ziggler Show, I play a short clip from Zig Ziggler where he describes the depth of foundation on skyscrapers. I mean, for a massive building to stand tall and not fall over amidst high winds and shifting earth, its foundational structure, what's built under the surface, is immense. Well, for all of us, life has hardship and challenge, of course. If you have a beating heart and interact with life at all, there is heartache and sadness. Well, what keeps you from being knocked over? And I posed this question to the Ziegler audience. What foundational reasons keep you from completely falling down? What keeps you striving and from giving up? And if you expect to hear big, broad statements like, you know, God and family, you won't. People were pretty specific. And what comes out as Tom Ziegler and I talk through it is a core thread that's incredibly insightful. Welcome, everyone. I'm Kevin Miller, and I'm so privileged to host three podcasts that have now surpassed 50 million downloads. They're all for people who want to truly grow and change and find fulfillment and joy in their lives. This podcast is The Ziggler Show, where we focus on professional development and succeeding in your career and business. Here, I talk with people who have had great professional success doing something they truly care about that serves others. And every week, I pose a question about personal and professional development uh, to The Ziggler audience, Tom. Tom Ziegler and I come together to have a conversation around the responses, and I encourage you to visit Ziegler.com and join Tom Ziegler and the family for the inspiration we all need. Right now, he's inviting you to join him to become a Ziegler coach. Go to Ziegler.com or email him at Tom Ziegler at Ziegler.com. In my motive podcast, we get to the root issue of our desires, our reasons, our motives. They fuel everything we do, yet we're generally unaware of them. In the latest episode 21, I bring you, I think, my most epic motive story so far. It comes from Jared Angaza, who takes us from the national music scene to sex slavery in Africa, now into space, literally. What drives a guy to go where he has? As is consistently the case as I press for core motives with my guest, Jared discovered some further insight into himself during the show and followed our time by stating a realization that uh, he says, I like to hurl myself into the unknown, into something that will challenge and stretch me. Every chance I get, it pulls the magic out of me and connects me more deeply to everyone and everything around me. You're going to want to hear that episode. In the True Life podcast, we address your health and wellness. You're the vehicle for all you do. If your body and mind are compromised, so are all of your efforts. In the latest episode 63, we talk about the powerful effect in all of our lives from the number one drug on planet Earth we're all addicted to, food. You can find all three shows in Apple Podcasts. Just search for Kevin Miller or go to my website, kevinmiller.co. Several years ago, I was speaking in Calgary, Canada, and they took us up on top of Calgary Tower. It's a structure that's 626 feet high. Now, the only way I can visualize that is two football fields and then 26 more feet. I can visualize that kind of height. As we got on the elevator and started going up, the little uh, message that was recorded came on, and it was giving us all of this data. And it said this structure in its entirety weighs 12,000 tons. 7,000 of those tons are underground. You see, with a foundation like that, you can go way up in the air. In downtown Memphis or Dallas or Miami or New York or Atlanta, a good engineer can look at the holes in the ground as they get ready to construct. 
They can tell the tallness of the building. They can tell the width of the building. They can tell the depth of the building. They can tell much about the building by looking at the height of the ground because that is where the foundation is going to go. When we build our lives and when we help our children to build their lives on a solid foundation, a solid moral base, then you can go just about anywhere. Tom, this question of... Well, I'll state it again. What foundational reason or reason you know, keeps you from completely falling down? What keeps you striving and from giving up? And I ask that, and I, I'm not going to you know, claim I have some personal story of being at my end and, and thinking I'm going to you know, end, end it all, uh, though there are many people here in this who have. But I've definitely been at that place sometimes of just kind of questioning, you know, what... what what am I doing? Is this all, you know, is this all worth it? Is it worthwhile? And yeah, I can't, again, I can't say that I've thought of, you know, giving it up, but sometimes I do question, what am I striving for? Why am I striving for? And there's the easy, tangible things of, you know, I've got a wife and I've got a kid. Okay, sure. But, but really, you know, what, what is it that keeps me motivated and inspired? I mean, this is your, you know, your life. You were, the day you were born, you had a father who was, going after that motivation and that inspiration. Um, but even there, I'm sh- you know, there's still a, a, a wide, I'm sure there's some times that even the great Zig Ziglar questioned, you know, going forward and what's he doing and, and, and why. And I think without that, we'd probably be inhuman to some degree. So it may, maybe to some degree, I want to just say, you know, it's, it's okay. It's normal. Even the greats, even Tom Ziglar, maybe has wondered once in a while, what am I doing? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a few weeks ago, my wife and I were taking a walk. And for those of you who are new listeners, my morning consists of a couple hours of thinking and reading and contemplating every day. Uh, so on that day, I started thinking about, you know, when we look at history, let's just look at the last 2000 years. The majority of people through the majority of history, they got up in the morning and their goal was to do something that allowed them to eat for the next day or the next week or the next season. I mean, whether they were farming or trading or whatever, and there wasn't this burden to go and solve the problems of the world. Um, It was about what am I going to eat? How's my family going to make it? And can we put a little aside so that when the next hard time comes, we got some reserve? Yeah. And of course, I was raised um, with a household that uh, it was like, hey, you know, what can you do to maximize what God's given you? And I watched dad wake up every morning with this just gung ho excitement that golly, if he could just get a little better, if he could learn something new, maybe that would that would be the message that impacted somebody else's life that set them on the journey to a fuller life, right? The, you know, we had the Born to Win book, and before that we had the Born to Win uh, seminar uh, audio program, and before that we had the Born to Win seminar, and before that it was called the Richer Life Course. And so you go back all the way into the 70s and you think about the roots of, hey, we all want a richer life. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. Right. And so that was just kind of the contemplation that I had. Uh, what, what is it? You know, what is a richer life? And 
I think we all want that. And I think it can mean different people to different things, but I love the foundational idea that God created each of us uniquely and he gave us gifts and talents. And maybe the richer life is how we're developing those in the process of serving others. Yeah. Yeah. You know, with that, Tom, so, so that right there, and I think that's where I tend to go. And I think we, we as an aspiring people probably tend to go is what is that thing, that purpose, right? We come to that, that, that purpose and that passion. And I love having the, I find myself sometimes just God, thank you that I know that you're there. Thank you that I have, that you gave me eyes to see that you let that be revealed to me and, and, uh, that there is a bigger purpose. That said, here's a, an admission for myself. I, I, we know that statistic, we know, I shouldn't say it that way, but statistically it has been said, and I surely believe that the happiest people, the most fulfilled people on the planet are those making progress, just making progress period. I used to be a little more or a lot more judgmental in regards to what that progress was. What is that thing that you're working for? What are you doing? What is the work that you do add up to at the end of the day? And I used to look at some people and think, I just don't, I don't get it. What I've learned though, to some degree, to a great degree is that I don't need to judge what it is they're making progress for. If they're progressing towards something, whether I understand it or not, but it makes them a happier, more joyful, fulfilled person, they are making the world a better place by far and large. If it makes them, uh, I just did show motive show episode I think 21 with my brother and we got to talking about that, what lights you up. And instead of judging what it is that lights you up, just, I'm so grateful that whatever that is lights you up. Cause if it lights you up, it lights up, it illuminates the people around you. And so what is that thing that makes, you know, progress? And cause sometimes Tom amongst all this stuff, you and I were just talking about my mountain biking habit and I can get excited just about the next mountain bike ride or the next race or bettering my time or exploring a new thing. Well, who is that helping on planet earth? Me, it helps me. And if I'm come home happier, my wife's happier and my kids are happier and I'm shining my light. And you know, so it was interesting to ask this question, what keeps you and most of the answers admittedly were well here let's read one you ready cindy she says uh i what keeps her going is knowing because i've been at the bottom before i remember how hard it was to get up so i try to keep myself from going back to that i asked her i responded back i said so it's a desire to avoid pain she says yes but also it's a waste of time and a lot of work to give up or give in and try to get back to where I'm going in the long run, working on the things I don't want, uh, or that need to be addressed to keep me from going down is less, is less work. I, I made me think just of inertia, you know, of, of, yeah, I think maybe people who have been at the bottom and then work themselves up. It's like somebody who's lost weight. You know, if you've done the work to lose 50 pounds or a hundred pounds, man, the thought of letting it go and letting it all back, you know, the work it took you to get there. That's a good motivator. Studying that, uh, I think it was Seth Godin talked about momentum and, and he, he pointed out that a fantastic company with no momentum really struggles, right? Because you, you haven't found your target audience. I mean, you can, you can have all the greatest solutions and services in the world, but if you don't have enough 
uh, satisfied clients, customers who are passing the word on, it's really hard. It's like every day is making a new sale. And, and then companies who have a lot of momentum that are pretty average, it's hard to slow them down. Huh. Right. It's, it's, and so that idea of inertia momentum is really powerful. Uh, the other thing in there that, that stands out is that we all overestimate what we can do in a short amount of time and underestimate what we can do over a long amount of time. And it's just that constant, constant pecking away little by little, you know, by an inch, it's a cinch, which does it. And so when I, when I have the dip, um, it's usually always goes about back to neglecting the fundamentals, right? My momentum gets going, my inertia is positive. I'm, I'm, I'm getting results. Uh, and then I forget the fundamentals Yeah. And, and then a setback happens. And then the things that have been feeding and fueling me, I haven't been doing. And that's what's so hard. So I relate, uh, to what Cindy says about, gosh, I just don't, Man, I can't give up. I've been around long enough to know that if I if I give up the things that got me there, trying to be rebuild that is just it's pain. It's it it's is. hard. It's over overwhelming. I do want to say something to that aspect of losing momentum because I see that especially to people who get gung ho about something, they get excited, inspired, motivated, and they go after something, they take action. And generally, you know, boom, right away, they're going to make progress and they're excited about that. The days go on and you get more into the grind of it. And then something happens, it derails you. And that seems to be one of the most challenging things to go, man, now I've lost momentum and it feels, it can feel devastating. And I get that one piece of that, though, I feel is so relevant is that any effort you put towards something, though, it it is you will get back to it quicker. Even if you get back to square one, you'll get you'll make that progress again quicker. And my muse, my analogy on that is muscle memory. And there's such a thing uh, that so I've been a lifetime. I started racing. I started riding bikes at five. I started racing bikes at 10 and I raced till I was 32. And there's been times in between there where I have not ridden a bike for a long period of time. I mean, literally I had some times where afterward or after, you know, I ended, ended my, my pro career times of not riding for a year. And it was amazing that I could get back on. And if I train, I can get in shape really fast. And, you know, I thought muscle memories, it was just kind of my novice way of thinking about that, that I've heard about that. And, hey, it must work. Well, then I read, actually, it wasn't even that long ago. And it was, they were talking about Tour de France riders, but they were talking about athletes in general, that the, who knows how many thousands, tens of thousands, a hundred thousand, I don't know how many miles that I rode and even more so a Tour de France rider that you're doing that your muscle just responds as our bodies do to uh, to, uh, 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 to survive and to adjust to what we do to them. And so if I'm doing that, there's literally more veins going to my legs. I have more veins and more blood, more oxygen, more power and capability capacity than the average person. And it's interesting. I do, even if I gain weight in my belly, whatever, I have veins in my legs always have. And, and, and I assume always will. So it's, they're literally built to do that. So think about that. If we're thinking about muscle memory, if we're thinking about mind memory, if you go and, and interact with something over and over, well, gosh, we know that with addiction on a bad side, that if you come out of addiction, how quick can you go back into it like that, man? Cause you, you got the wiring for it. 
which probably goes to the once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. I'd say once you have grown that propensity, that propensity is always there for you to fall back into it. Now you can get out of that and I think have, you know, full recovery to, to, to a great degree, but man, I get it. But my point being to those of you, when you take action towards creating a new habit and you gain success in an area, your ability to come back and do that again will be greater. So don't look at it as a loss that if you did this thing, if you went from, from zero to five and then you lost your momentum you go back to one and you can regain that quicker. You, you didn't, you didn't totally lose out on that. Does that make sense, Tom? It does. Uh, you know, it reminds me, I was having a conversation with one of our uh, coaches. His name is Steve Kribda. And uh, the question was, hey, how come I'll achieve a goal and then backslide? Yeah. Right. I mean, that's what it is. Because he's human. Yeah, because we're all human. Right. We, you know, uh, but but that's what you said earlier is we all like to be making progress towards something. Yeah. And so I like to look at it a little bit differently. You know, what if there is no cap? You know, what if what if the goals that we set are just mile markers on the way to whatever the whatever the potential is? Yeah. And so the way this gets worked out in, you know, books that you read on hacks on how to achieve more is let's just say you set a goal to to uh, sell a certain amount of stuff in a year. Well, you're going to hit that goal, right? September, October comes along and you've almost hit the goal. Don't let yourself hit the goal, up the goal. And then it goes back to, well, wait a second. If I'm always changing the, the, the end marker, when will I ever get to celebrate? Yeah. <laughs> Which seems like a pretty miserable thing, right? We never get to celebrate, right? We get to make the pie, but we always uh, give the pie away to somebody else. Uh, yeah, go ahead. And so I think we just celebrate, we just celebrate the process constantly. Well, here, here's a concept because I've been thinking about this, Tom, if I go back to my mountain biking right now, so I just turned 50 and I, I, to some, it's hard for me as having been an athlete, not to look at it and, uh, you know, here's my, my Garmin watch and I'm looking at my progress and to think I want to be progressing, getting better every day. Well, I can't do that forever. I'm not going to get in the Tour de France. I'm not even going to try. Can I really better myself, you know, every day? And I was, I was kind of thinking through that, and then realized, you know, sometimes right, right now, I just enjoy going out, and I could almost call it maintenance. But there's some degree to where every year, man, if I'm maintaining a decent level of fitness, that is progress in relation to my age, especially. I mean, we're at the age now where most of our peers, you're expected to just be on the decline. Man, if I can maintain a decent physical ability and my lung capacity, as we were talking about, and all that supporting my brain and do that, man, every year I'm making progress in regards to the norm of decline just by maintaining a different level. And even at some point I'm going to, my my miles per hour is going to go down. I'm going to decline it. Can I be 80 and still out there and able to ride for an hour while my, again, peers are drooling in the nursing home? That's progress. You know, so I'm looking at progress a little differently in that though, you know, of course, like you, I always want to have the areas where I'm literally making progress, but I don't know if I'm going to continue doing that in my physical ability. We'll see. 
You are listening to The Ziggler Show and this episode on what keeps us from giving up. Next, we hear from a listener who's motivated by helping the type of person she used to be, which in her words was a hopeless drug addict. Today, she wants to show that recovery is possible no matter how far down people have gone. Here are some resources for you, then we'll get right back into it. Uh, Carolyn Delaney here. She says, I'm in a position to help the person I used to be, a hopeless alcoholic and drug addict. Today, my mission is to amplify hope. I have to be resilient and visible to show that recovery is possible no matter how far down people have gone. And so I responded back. I said, so it's a driving purpose. That's the thing that gets her out of bed in the morning. And she said, uh, absolutely. I know from firsthand experience that recovery is possible, even probable, that when we're in the midst of active addiction, we really can't see what's possible for our lives. I also know that people in recovery have an unwavering desire to be of service to the person who is still sick and suffering. Uh, she says our magazine provides that connection. She has a little recovery magazine it's distributed in prisons, jails, and grocery stores. Man, that speaks, Tom, to me just of she has a purpose. She is of value to other people. I don't know if there's anything. I remember my dad teaching me long time ago, you know, his, he started out as a psychologist and, or in psychology. And he, you know, he said one of the best, and we've heard, I think everybody's heard that, but this is one that's good to hear. I think continually as we can get down in the dumps and navel gaze and start negative stinking thinking, uh, one of the best medications for depression is to find somebody to serve, find somebody who you can be of use to maybe somebody who's hurting more than you can, which there's always going to be somebody and serve them. We've seen lives turn around when we find somebody to serve and it gets us. That's what my wife talks about that. She's come to points in her life of going, Oh my gosh, I need to go out and help somebody because I'm just, she calls it navel gazing. I'm just getting caught up in my own stuff, my own little world. I need to go serve somebody else. We're kind of back to that serving a greater purpose concept and value. Wow. Um, you know, service is something you have to do. You, you can't learn it vicariously through someone else. Uh, I've mentioned this quote many times, but uh, Rabbi Lappin says that the opposite of depression is not happiness. The opposite of depression is purpose. And I think that's a pretty interesting concept. What if the byproduct of pursuing your purpose is happiness? Yeah. And this is where I think needs to be more thought. I, I don't, I don't think enough people have really sat down and said, well, what's my purpose? And, you know, if you're a faith-based person, uh, you know, it's, to me, it's pretty clear. We were, we were partly created to serve God and, and to serve his crea creation, you know, to serve other people, to solve problems for other people. And, and one of the things that I've mentioned this as well uh, in AA, the 12th step is you help others on the journey. Yeah. And you won't ever find somebody who's completed 11 steps and not the 12th who doesn't eventually go back to, to the addiction. It's almost like, you know, we, we have this, I believe we were created and born for a purpose. Each one of us is a little different, a little bit unique. There's some things that we have in common. Uh, but we will, uh, if, if we can't satisfy that, that yearning, that longing in us to, to make a difference, to have meaning, 
then we'll fill that hole with addictions. Yeah. Yep. You know, which is we're in a cataclysmic time of right now. We're seeing more medication. We're seeing more diseases of despair. It's the fastest growing pathology. So even as we see diabetes on a hockey stick increase, heart disease on a hockey hockey stick increase, autoimmune, I mean, you name it right now. And we are in America, especially getting sicker and and more out of shape and just more problems every day. But the fastest growing trajectory is in the category of diseases of despair, which is depression, uh, suicide, those type things. And Tom, I, when we look at purposelessness and apathy and, uh, and we've got a multitude of, you know what, can I, can I, can I share a personal tangent here with you real quick, right on that, Tom? You bet. So one of the things that we are all struggling with along this path of purposelessness and apathy and lack of interest and whatnot is screens. And we talk about this a lot. We've had people like Cal Newport on this show talking about digital minimalism and what this screen is. And, and if I was to make a long story or a long perspective short on that, it is we are finding people less apt to go after and invest in the deeper meanings and feelings and experiences of life because you can get a quick dopamine hit right here off this phone constantly. You can find endless shows on Netflix. You can be uh, virtually entertained and you get a lot in there. And we're looking at that right now with artificial intelligence and virtual reality and and those types of things. Where are these going to go? Where are people, why go out and, and go on a ski trip with all the effort and expense and danger when you can put on uh, what's the what's the ter- what's the big uh, uh, monocle oracle? What's the thing that people are using? Oculus. Oculus. Thank you. You know when you can do that, where's that where's that going to go? And so I'm not immune to that. I've got kids in the home right now from ages eight to sixteen, and I currently have a 21 year old temporarily with us, and uh, so I've got six kids at home at the moment, and. We don't have a bowl of M&Ms out on the coffee table for a reason. Because there's no way any of us are going to withstand eating the whole thing, me included. So we just don't do it. We don't buy them. But we have screens in the house. We have internet in the house. It's my vocation. So if I'm working from home, you know, of course, I think at this point, everybody feels like they need it. With school, I've got school-aid kids, and I've got a couple that are not physically in school, they're doing it at home and it's the school provides the computer and it's all online. So how do I take that away? Now, again, if it was important enough, I can move to an Island, be off the grid and and go to that extent, but I'll make the long story short. It is a constant temptation. It's very difficult. Even for me, I'm happy to watch a show every night. I'm happy to, I mean, I like that stuff too. As of tonight, we're, we're going to have some new rules. Uh, I, I get the phones, everybody's cell phone, and uh, I will take them, I will keep them overnight, and I will take them with me to work. I will come back home, and every kid will have 30 minutes from 7 to 7.30 after dinner that they can have their, they can have their phones. At 10 o'clock at night, uh, and I do have some older kids, so that's a little later than I would do it otherwise, but at 10 o'clock at night, the internet shuts down. 
when we have no internet till I turn it back on uh, in the in the morning. Well, for us, you know, our, our, most people are our TV. That's it's a smart TV. Without the internet, there's nothing. Zero, uh, nada. And video games. Also, we have video games. I have never bought a video game for my kids. Doggone it, we have extended family who've bought my kids video games and we've got, I don't even know where the stuff comes from. I've never spent a dime of my money that I've earned on a video game and we have everything, literally everything, which I, I'm a little ashamed to say, we have everything. And tonight I'm going to collect it all and we will agree on, on when that's available. It may be one day a week for two hours, you know, Saturday from this time to this time. That's the only time that it's available and then give it back to me, which is very similar to like in our family, we don't do sugar and sweets. Uh, they're only on S days. So Saturday and Sunday. So my you know kids know that Saturday, and Sunday, we'll get ice cream, whatever, but the rest of the day, we don't, we just don't have it around. Uh, we're going to do the same thing with video games. So we're going to take a drastic cut back, not as a discipline, not as a consequence, just as a guy to serve you. Just the same reason I'm not going to put M&Ms out. We've got to take this away because when we don't have it there, which we've, and we've done things like this before, but when we don't have it there, what do they do? They read, they write, they pick up a guitar, they'll go outside, they'll jump on the trampoline, they go for a hike, play a board game. Uh, things that they enjoy, but it's not that quick hit that we can all turn to. So I wanted to divulge that because as a family, man, I'm not, uh, we're, we're just as prone to the temptation as well to that quick hit. It's difficult to avoid. So there you go. So there's my parental story. I love it. I love it. Uh, one of my friends, Steve McKnight, he had a similar system in his house that uh, his daughters, they could do chores voluntarily they had a certain amount of chores they had to do that was part of being the family there was no compensation for it and then there were extra chores that they could do and they would get credits for it and they yeah. could trade those credits for either money or screen time and nice. those were things like reading or doing an extra chore or getting a workout in or or, or, or whatever the situation was pretty pretty cool idea uh, when you first started on this, I remembered of a uh, an experiment. I think they did it with rats, and they took rats and they put them in this uh, cage, you know, by themselves. And they had two little water things they could drink up from. One of them uh, was water, and the other one had cocaine in water, some oh, wow. drug. And uh, they all became addicts almost instantly. And then they built Rat Disney World. Uh, they built this cage that had every plaything, every toy, everything you can imagine, and lots of other rats in it. And, the, and they put rats in that one that had both waters. Uh, they had the regular water and the, I think it was cocaine water, whatever it was. None of them drank the cocaine water. Wow. And I think it's, you know, we're wired for relationship and we're wired for creativity, for exploring, for doing stuff. And, and so we get trapped in our house and, and we get addicted to the screen. And that's our version of exploring. Yeah. Even though it's not, it's, it's not healthy and it's not true. It's, it's not real. And yeah, it's, it's amazing with the, you know, even a movie, which a movie watching at our house used to be a big thing. Now we can turn on the movie that everybody's excited about, but five minutes into it, you'll see them if they're allowed looking down and messing with their screens. I'm going, guys, we're, seriously, you can't, 
you know, stick it into what, and they'll go, they, and then, cause they, my kids know, but they'll put it down. But again, it's just that today it's, it's the old marshmallow test, Tom. You remember that one, you know, putting the kids in or, or, or testing kids and saying, Hey, you can have one marshmallow now or wait, whatever it was, 15, 30 minutes, whatever. And you'll get two, which do you want? And the kids who you know wanted one now, they did later tests and the kids who were able to say, okay, I'll wait to get the two who could delay the gratification had great, far greater life successes down the road. And here we are, and we're in an age right now where we don't even, the concept of delayed gratification is, is gone. And, and again, I'm, I'm, uh, I just went today and had the thought of, I got irritated with a couple of things at home, you know, our big pan warped and our cheese grater was being goofy, whatever. So what do I do? I go to Amazon, find what I want, order it. And it's going to be here tomorrow. And I'm up in a mountain town. If you're in a big city, you can get it same day. I, there, there is no delayed gratification. There doesn't have to be, there does not have to be. We have to artificially manifest it. Uh, it's yeah, it's a nuts world. Goodness. Okay. There, there was a bit of a tangent. Hopefully that's grateful. You know, on this Tom though, this aspect of what gets people out of bed, it is relevant though. I mean, what is that deep investment, that deep care, that deep purpose? And we're losing it when we have these instantaneous dopamine hits, but I had multiple people here. Jamie, also said, I don't want to go back to where I came from. I'll never forget where I came from. And I do not want to go back. He says, avoiding the pain of bad choices and decisions. Uh, I, I don't want to do that again. Chris Puckett, like others have said, I refuse to go back to where I was right now. Our focus in our home is getting out of debt so we can do something different in the future. I wholly, wholeheartedly believe that freedom from debt will allow us to be free in other areas of our life. Curtis Stewart, many years back, we were $428 away from broke. I had been laid off for over eight months. I could not uh, get a job. I have never forgotten that feeling. It took five years to dig out of that hole. And even today being financially secure and able to retire, I can't shake that feeling in over 20 years. I've taken one vacation. I work 60 plus hour weeks, uh, scared and hungry is a hard feeling to let, to let lie, let lay. Um, Katie says I, it's my three kids. I've been homeless before and I won't ever go back ever. So that's interesting, you know, to put this question out, what gets you up in the morning? So I'm going to, I'm going to almost couch that as they don't want to lose the progress that they made. They have been in such bad places that they don't want to go back. And they know that I mean, I can, you can, you can make the movie scene of that alarm clock going off in the morning going, Oh, I'm tired, whatever else may be going on. But if I don't get up, I know where that leads. That's a strong, that's a strong motivator uh, and an interesting one. Sick and tired of being sick and tired. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we, we talk about um, how do you get somebody to take action? Because in, in what we do, uh, people come to us constantly. They come individually. They say, hey, uh, you know, I'm on a journey. And there really has to be this super awareness of, What's the pain that you're in right now? What's keeping you up at night? What's driving you crazy? You know, just kind of that I've had it moment. And then that needs to be compared to what's the vision you have for your life? What do you want? What is the purpose? You know, and that that expands over all seven areas, the mental, physical, spiritual, family, financial, personal, and career. Oh, you want a new car. You, you want a vacation home. You want to travel. You want to do what you want, when you want, with who you want. You want all those things. And ultimately, it's interesting how much 
bigger a driver staying out of pain is than moving towards what it is I really want to achieve. What, it, that's a big point. I mean, we know that from a psychology standpoint, what's a bigger motivator, pain or desire? Pain. I mean, we respond to pain, unfortunately. That's why so many people, let's, say, let's just take work, right? Let's take the job that is not thrilling. It, it could be terrible, but it's not thrilling. How many people look at that and go, man, the place I'm in, I, I don't feel is best for me. I can't be all I am. I could do more, whatever, who proactively go out and find that better opportunity. What percentage is that as opposed to those who stick in it until, until if they're not enjoying it, they're not doing as good of a job. They get laid off. That happens a lot of times or just something changes. There's a merger, there's whatever they get. Laid, and now it's survival mode. And now they're going to jump out and only have so many people who testify later, man, the best thing that ever happened to me is getting laid off or getting fired. Cause I finally went and found that better thing. The bummer of that, however, the is if you're in the place, the former place of saying, I, you know, I want something different, better, and you go out and find it proactively instead of reactively, proactively, you generally have more bandwidth to find the best opportunity. If you're, however, you just got axed, let go, whatever, you may find something better, but it's so critical. You're in survival mode. You don't have the time to find as best as you might have been able to with a little more time. So if we'd have the maturity to be proactive instead of reactive, it benefits us. But we're humans and we tend to respond to pain. Me too. Trying to mature though, Tom, you know, when we look at purpose and we mentioned this before, I'm going to kind of, if we look at this as a category, well, Marvin Pennick, my purpose is to know God, grow myself, serve others. Anything that happens to me has to fit within these parameters. Amy Van Slambrook, God's purpose and everything I encounter, endure, experience on days when I've been near death, near giving up, near to saying I do give up. It keeps me going, knowing that someone out there is either going, going through this now or they will be and they'll need my persistence and victory that God has for me. Susie Bradley, God's purpose for my life is what gets her out of bed. Wade Maines, purpose, my why. I'm a suicide survivor and I have all the gratefulness to thrive because of Jesus. So let's put that in there. And we have a high faith-based demographic in the Ziegler audience. People who are, you know, who, who do uh, embrace Christianity, um, God. And in that, let's, I'm going to put it in a greater purpose, a bigger picture. I mean, we know historically since pictographs were found in caves that there has been a, an awareness of, a seeking, a, a, a desire for a greater purpose, a belief in a bigger picture. I don't know if ultimately there's a stronger purpose or, or desire, you know, thing that gets people out of bed than that at some core level, uh, Tom. And, you know, I even look at that for myself. I, I can't really make sense of life outside of that. If the, if the, 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 the proof came tomorrow that you, there is no God, we're just worm food. That's it. I would have a really hard time finding a reason to do anything the next day. There's only so much hedonism you can do at that point. And uh, what, what would be the point? It's not just my belief in, but my experience of a bigger picture that does. I mean, that's a, it, again, what, regardless of whether it's, it's, Wade says it's Jesus Christ, which is where you and I have our faith, whether it's that or whether it's something else. And I've met, and as you have too, unbelievable people that do not claim 
a certain person, a certain perspective, a certain deity, a certain a God. They even have trouble with that God, but they do feel this sense to humanity and this, I call it a beauty of humanity and love and uh, that keeps them going. And I see that, that there's very few people, because we've had plenty of people on the show here who are not Christians, and yet they have that similar drive and belief in something bigger out there. And I rarely, I will say this, not to make a sales pitch, I, 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 I'm, I'm sure there's an exception out there. I have not yet come upon somebody who we would all look at and say has a successful life as we would look at like the spokes on the Ziggler wheel of life that with relationships and, and, uh, and love and depth that, that has success that has said, I believe that there is absolutely nothing else beyond me. I haven't found that person yet. I haven't found that person who says, Nope, I don't think there's anything else that has been on this show that we've had, that we've been, that if you look at authors and experts and out there, there's, there's very few of them. And to me, that's just of interest. Not a sales pitch, but if we're just looking at the stats, very few people that achieve a lot that's, that we would follow that have not placed their faith in a bigger purpose. Can I say just bigger picture than themselves? Yeah, in our, in our world, I come across a lot of people who uh, it's legacy. Um, and so their purpose yeah. is legacy. And so they may not have a personal faith in a particular uh, religion or, or God, but their ultimate goal is to create a legacy that leaves the world better than when they got here. Yeah. Um, the, the challenge that I think we all have is, you know, what's the definition of a better world? Yeah. And that's where we're seeing so much disruption right now, because I mean, obviously a better world is technology that takes care of all your problems and you don't have to leave the house and, you know, you can just build relationships on your screen, right? Some people say that. Pseudo relationships, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Other people say, you know, the, the, a better world is uh, I do what I want and you do what I want. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's that's one of the things that we see out there is, hey, as long as you do what I do and want what I want, it's a better world. Yeah. Right? And yeah. so there's all these different things. And, and, and so... I guess, I guess going back to the core question, you know, what is it that I get up for? What is it that I want to accomplish? We got to define that, right? We got to get really specific. Is it my kids? Is it my family? Is it the impact I have on other people? Uh, as a believer, to me, you know, we're called to be holy, to, to have a vibrant relationship with God, to serve other people. And so, the question, you know, when when things got kind of spinning out of control, like what's going on? You know, all these things are pulling me all these different ways. Uh, I, I get real foundational and I ask this question. Are the people in front of me by accident hmm. or by design? That's good. And yeah. every time I ask that question as a believer, it's like, yeah, there's no coincidence. They're here by design. Okay. So then the next question is, what kind of attitude, what kind of effort, what kind of skill is going to be something that's going to point them towards the creator that I can do? Yeah. Right. I mean, that's just that's just ultimately it. Um, you know, I saw one comment 
uh, Jessica's lost a child and, you know, her, her reason mm-hmm. is I, I watch my child fight until the end. I'm going to fight. That's the example. And I, and I love that. I mean, cause that's just, that's a heartfelt real thing. And so I look at who I have to live for and how do I honor the creator in that process? And it, and it just goes back to, gosh, I, 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 I much rather people come to me and say, gosh, what do you believe? I, I want what you have rather than people running away because I'm telling them what I believe, but there's just not a lot of evidence of why they want it. Yeah. Right. So dad always approached the stage with, you know, honey, let's honey is what people are attracted to. It was never about downplaying or downgrading or, or condemning someone else for how they believed or didn't believe. Yeah. It was all about, man, can you believe my life? Look at this. Look at the relationships. Look at the the fruit of all these things. Yeah. You mentioned, I mean, you hit the other categories and we had a a truckload of responses to this one. And another category was just other people. I mean, I feel like everybody attests to that to some degree, but people like Jessica, who it's a certain person in their life or people in their lives. Yeah. Michael, Jessica, Phil, Nicole. And it was, it was that the people that they feel a, a desire to serve. And it's hard. You could almost not separate it from that. Another category, a bunch of people of responsibility. They felt a responsibility to other people, to God, but they literally said those words, Laura, Laura a sense of responsibility, uh, uh, Debbie Turner, uh, faith. Don't, don't ever think there was an option to give up on people. Uh, gosh, Marianne, Scott, Kent, it was serving other people. And then just a lot of things like, uh, gosh, here's one, Jennifer Meisel. I don't think this is a, a good thing necessarily, but when I try to do things on my own strength, I think my base drive is pride and having a big ego. Being a people pleaser is also a drive. I don't ever think anything is good enough, so I keep pushing. I compare myself to others way too much and, I, and want to be the best. This, of course, never sustains me. And the only thing that really keeps me from giving up is my faith and letting go of what I think I should strive for and focus on what God thinks I should strive for. I mean, again, I like that microcosm there of self-focus and outside focus. And ultimately, pretty much everybody came to that. Now, granted, again, I'm speaking to a biased audience as people who listen to this show and of our these thoughts. But so interesting. That's what I was looking for is what is it that keeps us from giving up? Because we all have that. Otherwise, we would give up. And again, back to this deaths of despair that's on the rise, we're finding more and more people who don't have the reason. They're not finding the reason to go forward. And it's easier to give up. And when we are not living an actual life, but a virtual life, and I am picking on that because that's where we see the strongest correlation it makes sense. So looking at that, looking at ourselves and others, where are we in it? To me, it pulled us, pulled me back to where am I investing, Tom? Where am I investing my time? Because depending on if I, if I invest at the wrong place, like these screens only, I don't know that, I'll, that there's a fear. There's a good reason to get up the fear that I won't find a purpose to get up the next day, the next morning. 
I won't have that thing to progress. It, it really feels like a call too to man find that to find something that you can progress in, and don't judge it. Just find something where you find progress, where you find joy. But ultimately, I think the culmination of this question, Tom, was find people that care about you, that you care about, that you can have purpose in. I, I, there's just statistically no greater place that we find purpose in. That's right. Our relationships. We were created for a relationship. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? We'll end there I, on that, Tom. As I was writing about that not long ago, I thought kind of that daydreaming of a dystopian future. Imagine waking up tomorrow. I mean, imagine that. If everybody could do this, do this uh, exercise, just think about what it would like. Everybody's seen enough movies. They can picture this. You wake up tomorrow. Everything's just as you see it right now. Look out the window. Look at your home, wherever you are. Everything is just as you see it, but there's nobody else there. You're it. It's just you. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, I, I, I realized because my first thought was, you know, I guess maybe you just go do everything you want to do. You know, go drive a Porsche 200 miles an hour down the road and eat cheesecake before it rots, uh, you know, do all. But I thought, but, but why? There's just I, I realized there's no joy without some correlation to another person. And even if you could be have fun being totally hedonistic, go surf, go do some, a couple things for a week. I mean, but at some point, I just think I would I would end it. What's the point? Without And it just brought the gravity of other people. As much as I like my alone time, I like my solitude, I can be a hermit, there's no, there's no purpose otherwise. It, it made me think of Thomas Merton. You know Thomas? Our, uh, he was a famous monk. I, I don't think he's still alive. But I remember my first reading of him and hearing about him being away in solitude for like three years or something like that. And as a, as a, as a newbie Christian, or not a newbie Christian, but really new to my own personal faith, I thought, well, I don't get that. Really? What good is that to anyone? Seriously, is that enough? Just you and God off on a mountain somewhere. Is that really it with no relation to other people? Well, it was years later when I came back to that and realized, no, the guy wrote like 50 books. I mean, he spent that time doing what? writing things for the purpose of other people. It was a relationship. Without that, what would he have done? Who would he have written to? That's what he spent his time doing. We can't really get away from what you just said, Tom, relationships and the desire for that. It's it's uh, top of the heap, huh? That's it. That's it. Hey, appreciate my relationship with you, Tom. Thanks, brother. Likewise, my brother, the greatest host in all of the land of podcasters. And- I'm going to get that T-shirt. <laughs> So what does keep you from giving up? And I encourage you to ponder it for a moment. Maybe write about it and elevate its value in your life. And if you know someone who's struggling with giving up, maybe share this message with them. Share your own testimony. Coming up in episode 865, I've got quite a story for you. Tana Amen is vice president of the Amen Clinics and a world-renowned health and fitness expert. She's the picture of health and beauty and success. But here she comes forth with the exact moment when the facade, as she says, came falling down for her as she revealed her past of trauma and abuse that today makes who and how she is even more glorious. If you want redemption for all the bad that's happened to you, you're going to want to hear this show. Till then, thank you as always for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together.